Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. We are finally back at it after a long layoff here. The Prelim Primer is finally back in your eardrums with another UFC card, Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater. Of course, those of you who frequented the show last year already know this. We are only going to be breaking down the prelim portion of that card and not the awesome main event that uh, I'm really looking forward to. But that's besides the fact. Uh, and for those of you who might be new to the show, you're probably wondering, hey, why are you just looking at the prelims? Why are you not looking at this phenomenal main event? And the answer is very simple. The answer is that you probably have a good feeling that you know what's going to happen in that Calvin Cater, Max Holloway fight. Or even if you don't, you know a lot about Max Holloway. You know a lot about Calvin Cater. You may even know a lot about Matt Brown or Carlos Condit or all kinds of other guys in the main card. But there's plenty of these guys in the prelims that you don't know a ton about. And that's where there's a lot of money to be won in both daily fantasy sports and gambling is by getting that edge, knowing the prelims. And speaking of getting that edge, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by AJMMABetting.com. Visit AJMMABetting.com for gambling breakdowns and analysis that puts the other guys to shame because AJ does far more for you than just shoot him, you, your picks each and every week so that you can tail him. He gives you an education and insight so that you can make the informed decisions, grow your bankroll, and have continued success. Why go to an anonymous tipster who's just going to throw you blind ideas when you can go to a proven winner like AJ? Plus, right now, AJ is giving you all of his analysis for free. So there's nothing to lose other than the bad decisions you've currently been making. Make sure to follow him at AJMMABetting on Twitter or head to his website, AJMMABetting.com. And of course, in order to break down the prelims with me today, I needed to join or be joined by a co-host. Joining me today, formerly from Bloody Elbow, Scott Lagden. Scott, thanks so much for joining me. No worries at all. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Phil Hawes versus Nasoruddin Imovov. So Hawes knocked out Jacob Melkin in pretty much no time in his debut back in October. Of course, he came to us through the Contender Series where he went 1-1. One one. Imovov, meanwhile, beat Jordan Williams in, by decision in his debut also in October, and he comes to us from Aries FC, which was a new upstart promotion in Europe. So obviously, both of these guys kind of like to do their work on the feet, but they're very different kinds of strikers. So I guess my question to you to start this conversation is, how do you see the striking matchup playing out between the much more technical Imovov and the much more aggressive Haas? Yeah, I really like this matchup. It's, it's, it's a great one. Like, like you said, Phil Halls was one of those names. Who I can think back even to about three or four years ago, who was doing his name, going around the scene, people saying, oh, he's the next big thing. But he never he never quite broke through until recently. But yeah, like I said, his, la- his last five fights has won them all in round one by finish. Um, so yeah, so Halls is a really powerful guy. Not the most technical, but if, if, if he hits you, it's more than likely lights out. Like, like you said, Ameev is, is um, uh, sorry, Imavov. Um you can tell he, he um, he's quite technical with his striking. He's um, quite selective with his shots. But also in his last fight against Jordan Williams, he got he got buzzed quite a few times as well. Um, so this, this is all going to be about the early power of Hawes. So I think Hawes um, seems to struggle slightly more when it goes late. So I think the big secret here for Imamov is going to be he's got to try and ride out that early storm. And uh, if he's going to be successful in this fight, he's going to have to try and take this as long as he can. And um, but one of the good thing about Imamov I spotted in the, his last fight, Jordan Williams, when, when he got hurt once or twice, he's quite good at buying himself a bit of time. He's quite good at tying up. Um, so he'll need to use all of those kind of things if he's going to get any kind of upper hand against Phil Hawes. 
Absolutely, and I think, too, it's underrated how Haas sometimes has difficulty in those clinches, too. I think because he uses so much muscle and so much strength, and it wears him out, that if he does tag Imovov and he winds up getting clinched up, which Imovov does, like you said, very well at doing that, I think it's going to wear him out. And it's not like he's super technical in those either. If you remember back to his his last loss in the Contender Series against uh, Julian Marquez, he got tied up in a lot of those clinches, and he got reversed a lot. And not that Julian Marquez isn't super strong or isn't good in the clinch, but you would expect somebody who's as strong as Haas is and has that pedigree and has that that background that everybody was talking about him as the next big thing to be a little bit better in those situations. So it's interesting whether or not Imovov will be able to withstand that early onslaught, but I guess that's the question as we get to the end of talking about this fight. Do you think Imovov survives and wins late, or do you think Haas gets the stoppage early? I think if, if this fight goes out of round one, I would I would, I would uh, favour Imovov, but I can't see it personally. I think that Phil Hawes will land a big uh, power strike, and I can see it being, a, being another first-round knockout for Phil Hawes. All right, and I'm actually going to differ with you on this one. I'm going to take Imovov, and I'm going to take him by decision here, because I think he probably survives that early onslaught and just looks way better in rounds two and three. But you're definitely right. It is one of the two. It's either Imovov by late stoppage or decision or Haas yeah. in the first round. And it, it, this is, this is, no, is going to be no uh, walkover. Like, this, is a, this is a tough fight for Haas. So, yeah, I, I'm just still favor for him to get it done. But, um, yeah, Imovov is definitely a live dog, definitely. Absolutely. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Omari Akhmedov versus Tom Breeze. So Akhmedov was undefeated for six straight fights, but then lost that decision to Chris Weidman back in August. Breeze, meanwhile, had a long layoff heading into 2020, but then he fought twice in 2020, which was a nice change. He, of course, lost the first one to Brendan Allen and then followed that up with a KO win over KD Buller. So I'm going to be honest. Breeze is a guy who I just can't figure out. I've seen him grapple on the grappling circuit, and he looks amazing. Uh, but then he rarely uses it. And then in the cage, meanwhile, it, it seems like some fights he looks like he could beat anybody in the division. Other ones, it looks like he'd lose to anybody in the division. What do you expect for him to draw up here against Omari Akhmedov? Yeah, I, I agree with you. He's a guy that I still haven't quite worked out. I can't work out whether he's good, whether he's, whether he's not quite so good, whether he's overhyped, whether he's, um, or whether he's like a, a mid-card guy. He's a really hard one. Um, Tom Breeze was a guy who, when he first broke through over here in Europe, he was the talk, yeah, he's going to be nailed on UFC champion. Even, even before Bisping won the title, he was like, people were saying, yeah, he could be the first ever guy from England to win the title. Um, but yeah, he's, he's never quite capitalised on that momentum that he had. I was looking, actually, and his, his wins in the UFC against Luis Dutra, uh, Cahol Pendred, Kaita Nakamura, Dan Kelly, and then KP Buller in his last fight. So actually, apart from Buller, um, none of those guys in the UFC anymore. So actually, all the guys he has beat in the UFC, apart from his... KB Buller in his last fight aren't around any, lo- any longer. I think that tells you quite a lot, actually. Against that lower-level competition, he can brush on the side of ease. But as soon as he takes that step up into that kind of UFC standard, he does tend to struggle a little bit. But no, Breeze is... When he's in full flow, he looks so good. He's so light on his feet. He's quick. Um, yeah, very explosive striking. Um, but he, he quite often struggles against guys who can tie him up a little bit, take him down. Those are, those are positions that um, he really struggles to get out of. So I don't think this is a great matchup for him against Akhmedov. Yeah, and I completely agree with you on this one. Akhmedov... It seems like a nightmare matchup because even if Brees is good in the grappling, there's just no way he winds up on top of Akhmedov here in any way, shape, or form. He's not going to out-wrestle him. And like you said, he's a guy who, when he does have that step up in competition, he faces that high-level guy. It doesn't wind up so well for him. He's he's beating the guys who he's supposed to beat, and he's losing to the guys he's supposed to lose to. So I'm going to take Akhmedov here. I think he probably just gets it done by decision. I don't see him finishing Brees because Brees is kind of tough. Um, how about you? How do you see him winning? 
Yeah, I agree. I, I see Ahmed getting the decision as well. His, his last fight against Weidman, he was only really... The, the thing which lost him was uh, Weidman came on strong late and he couldn't quite keep Weidman off of him. Um, Tom Breeze isn't, isn't that kind of guy. He's not going to put on that late pressure and be really, really physical. So, yeah, I see Ahmed off by decision as well. All right, and that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, let me tell you about my favorite feature of the breakdowns that AJ from AJ'sMMABetting.com sends out with all of his picks. Because when he sends you his picks and the lines, he also lets you know this really cool thing called the implied probability. Man, it's even hard to say. Which is, he tells you roughly how likely it is based on the lines that are given for one fighter to win. So you might say, you know, this fighter has a 20% chance, or this fighter has an 80% chance, or this fighter has a 45% chance. And then he breaks down where he would have that line so that you can see where that value lies. This is an education you can't get a ton of places and you can get even fewer places for free. And that knowledge gives me and it will give you faith in the process because really gambling isn't all about that big hit that you got last week. It's about continued success and growing your bankroll. And that's what AJ is going to bring you when you head on over to AJsMMABetting.com. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Yanan Wu versus Jocelyn Edwards. So Wu, one and two in the UFC. She had an armbar win over Lauren Mulder, sandwiched in between losses to Mizuki Inoue and Gina Mazzani. Both of those by decision. Edwards, meanwhile, coming to the UFC at nine and two. She fought the likes of people like Brendan or Brenda Gonzalez and Sarah Alpar on the regionals. She, of course, she went one and one in those two fights. Her last win is a KO in under 30 seconds in a organization called uwc uh she's fought kind of lower level competition in that time so it's kind of hard to find a lot on the newcomer edwards here but is there anything you can tell the listeners here that would give them a little bit of insight into what they can expect from her tell you what daniel i totally agree with you it's really hard to find an awful lot on her i was just looking through at her opponent's records and i saw that out of the girls that she's beat uh, the combined record of them is 16 and 13, and that's over nine fights. So like you said, actually, the standard opposition um, on the whole hasn't been that great for her. So um, I don't think you can read too much into her regional scene, into her regional scene record, because she's not fighting top-level competition. She's um, Out of the nine victories she's had, she's finished eight of them. So she's clearly, she, she could be quite clinical when she needs to be. Um, I think she's fought for the LFA's title. So LFA's a decent, decent platform, of course, over in the US. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's, we're going to find out a lot about her in this fight. We haven't really seen her against against uh, the high standard of competition yet. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure what to expect from her in this fight, really. Right. And, and, and what I did see from her in the little bit of video I did see, she slugs. She comes out trying to throw big haymakers to take people's heads off, which makes sense given what you said about her record. She's got a ton of finishes on the regional scene against people who she should beat, right? Like people who are one and three or two and four or something like that. She should be able to go in there and knock their heads off. Here's the question, though. Against somebody like Yanan, who, who has not had the best run in the UFC, is that an approach you can take against a, you know, a UFC caliber 135-pounder? Um, I think it could be. I, I'm not overly sold on Yanan either, to be honest. And I, like I said, this, she's had three fights in the UFC, but I haven't, I haven't been mightily impressed really by what I've seen from her either, to be honest. Um, Yanan also, there's two finishes here because Yanan's also finished nine of her 11 wins. So um, it's two ladies who are very capable of finishing the fight when they need. Um, 
Yanan throws quite a lot of volume, but she doesn't look overly powerful. I think it's, it's important to remember as well for this fight, she's stepping up to bantamweight for the first time. She's fought flyweight before, had a few weight issues. So she's stepping up to bantamweight for this fight. So you think that Yanan could have the speed advantage. Um, but um, I can't see, she, she hasn't looked particularly powerful so far um, with, with, with her hands. So um, I, I think I think Edwards kind of forced to go in there and uh, throw a little bit whilst being cautious at the same time. Absolutely. So that brings us to the part of this conversation where we got to get a pick. How do you see this one going? Yeah, so like I said, Yanan's quite active. She can fall into a trap of, of throwing too many feints and not quite far enough. Um, but I think just based on the footage and um, skills win fights, and I think I think Yanan's just slightly more skilled from what I've seen. Yeah, and, and having a, a resume where you pretty much need a knockout to win, too, is not a great thing to have at women's bantamweight where there are not a lot of finishes. So I'm going to go with Yanan Wu based on the, the sheer volume as well. I just think she probably gets it done that way. And that brings us to our second fight in the second round here, which is Carlos Felipe versus Justin Tapa. Uh, Felipe lost a close split decision to Sergei Spivak in his debut, followed it up with a win over Jorgen DeCastro. Tafa, meanwhile, lost his debut by KO to the aforementioned DeCastro, and he followed that up by knocking out Juan Adams. So th- the question here is that th- this is also kind of a styles clash. Tafa loves to swing big all the time. He's looking to kill or be killed in pretty much every strike. How does that play off against the little bit more calculated fighter like Carlos Felipe? Yeah, it's again, I think this is one of my picks for the prelim card. I think it's, gonna be, it's got potential to be a really fun fight, this one. Like you said, Taff was a slugger. He's also, he's also very, very precise with his shots as well. Like I said, his, his last fight against Juan Adams, it didn't last very long. Um, but he was very, very efficient with his strikes. There wasn't really a lot of wasted energy. He threw some really, really good leg, uh, leg kicks just to disturb the base of Adams. And then when it came time to close the show, he did with really, really precise, powerful shots. Um, so yeah, Taffer's, even in Taffer's loss, it was just he just got caught coming in against uh, De Castro. Uh, so I, I quite liked what I've seen on the feet so far from Taffer. Uh, but like you said, Felipe is, is a really fun dude to watch. He's got, in, I was watching some of his fights last night, and the commentators were saying he's got that kind of heavyweight Diaz attitude. He's there, he'll, he'll, he'll slap you, he'll be, he'll be uh, waving, waving you on. Really fun guy to watch. Um, I don't think it's quite as precise and quite as clean as, as Taffer on the feet. Um, so I think he might leave a few openings. But yeah, this has got potential to be a really, really fun one. And I, I don't see this... I don't see this uh, going to the mat at all during this one. Yeah, I don't see it going to the mat either. It's interesting, though, the only one who has suffered a takedown or scored a takedown of the two is that Carlos Felipe wound up on his back against Sergei Spivak a little bit. And that fight wound up a majority decision. So it's interesting that he wound up on the ground three times and yet still wound up, uh, you know, getting a draw on one of the judges' scorecards because he came on so well late. Do you think there's any chance he comes on well late in this one, too? Um, it's hard to say, isn't it? Because we, we haven't actually seen that much uh, ring time of Taffer. Yeah, he's been he, all his fights in the UFC have been over quite quick, so we're not quite sure what it's going to look like into the later rounds. But we've, we've seen that um, Felipe is a big guy, but he seems to have quite a good gas tank. So um, I, I think I think it, it could favour Fleep the longer this goes on. Because we've, we've we've got evidence of him being being successful and thriving in those later rounds. So um, yeah, I think he, he can ride it out and take over late. All right, so we've gotten to the part of the round where I needed a uh, prediction. Who do you see winning this, and how do you see him winning? It's a really tough one. I just think um, Taffer's the slightly cleaner striker because it's really, really precise and he, he tends to hit you on the button. So I'll go for a Taffer win um, that second round knockout. All right, and I'm going to differ with you on this one too. I think I'm going to take Carlos Felipe here. I'm going to take him by decision too, even though it's a heavyweight fight. I think probably he just wears out Taffa. And, and I don't see him putting away Taffa because he's not a big finisher. But like I do see him being able to outwork him. And especially, like I said, he comes on well late as he did against DeCastro and against Spivak. So uh, I'll take uh, Felipe for that reason. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number three. 
So you've heard me give you all of my thoughts on AJ'sMMABetting.com and AJ. I think AJ's a phenomenal guy, but you've heard enough from me. Head on over to his website, AJMMABetting.com, and you can see not just me, but tons of people tell you about how great he is. I'm going to give you a review from Marcel Dorf, which you can find him on Twitter, at BigMarcel24. He's the guy breaking all the fights. And let me tell you something. The guy breaking down all the fights also loves AJ. He says he would love to give a huge shout-out to one of the best MMA handicappers out there, AJ MMA Betting. His knowledge about the sport is crazy, and his fight breakdowns are extensive and on point. Shoot him a follow if you haven't already. And I would say more than that. Don't just shoot him a follow. Check out all of his stuff on his website because I'm telling you, you're going to learn a ton, you're going to become a better better, and you're going to make some money in the process. Once again, that's AJMMABetting.com. And we are back with round number three. We got three more fights to talk about, so I'm going to put five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Ramazan Amiyev versus David Zawada. So Amiyev... Two and one in his last three, with his last win coming against Nicholas Stolza in dece- or, uh, by decision back in July. Before that, he lost to Anthony Rocco Martin. Zawada, meanwhile, was on a two-fight losing streak against Danny Roberts and Lee Jinglong before he beat Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov. That was all the way back in November of 2019, so quite a bit of a layoff. Now, my question here is that Meev seems to be a guy who likes to slow the pace of the fight down, either against the cage, on the ground, wherever you can do... Does Zawada have what it takes to be able to deal with that kind of pace-slowing and wearing energy? Yeah, one thing I've noticed about Zawada is that Zawada is very good. If you give him a slight opening, he's usually really, really good at taking it. Um, like I said, in his last fight, uh, last fight against Abubakar Nurmagomedov, he only had the slightest votings, but he, he locked up that, that triangle choke really, really well. So it doesn't take Zawada a lot to, to, to seal the show. Um, but I think Amiv's quite a disciplined guy. Um, I look at the stats, actually, and you think of him as this big grappling heavy guy, but actually he only lands two takedowns every 15 minutes. He's, he's a guy who's quite content to just hold you against the cage without really doing a lot. Um, so I think a, a lot of, in this fight is going to be on Zavada just to try and break as soon as he can whenever, he's gets his, uh, whenever he gets um, held by Amiv. He needs to be really, really urgent to get out of those positions and try and get lots of shots off on the feet. So, yeah, it's an interesting styles match at this one. I like it. Yeah, and I, I actually saw that stat while I was preparing for this fight as well. I, I was, like, shocked to see that he barely lands any takedowns because you, you do think of him as a guy who's always on top, but it's it's more in terms of control time than it is in terms of uh, sheer number of takedowns. Either he holds you down for a long time or against the cage. I just don't see Zawada being able to get away from that. So I'm going to go with Amiv here, probably by decision. How about you? Yeah, I agree. Like, like I said, Zavada put, could put me in some tricky spots here and there, but yeah, I, I favor Amiv by decision. All right, and that brings us to Vanessa Mello versus Sarah Morris. So Mello, 0-3 in the UFC with losses to Irina Aldana, Tracy Cortez, and Carol Rosa, all by decisions. Morris, meanwhile, is 1-2 in her last three. She most recently lost a decision to Sajara Eubanks all the way back in May. So obviously both these women on kind of bad runs. Is there anything that you saw in Vanessa Mello's three-fight run that would give you hope here for a fourth bout? Oh, uh, to be honest, no. Like, I was watching <laughs> yesterday, and just... If someone to say to you what she's good at, I, I don't think I can give you an answer. I mean, she, she gets hit quite a bit on the feet. She She's very, very static. She doesn't look particularly fluid in what she's doing. She's not particularly fast. Her takedown defense isn't great either. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Melo is one of those one of those ladies who's just not quite cut out for the UFC, even, even though Morass is on a is on a pretty bad run for herself. Yeah, and it, it's 
fair to say that Marissa is, is has a kind of a brutal record, right? She's six and six, but if you look at some of the people she has fought, she has fought some absolute killers in her career too. So you know, there, there's pretty much no shame to some of those losses that she has, especially if you go back and you look at the fact that she lost to people like Juliana Pena, Justin Andraj, Lucy Putalova, Macy Chayasan. She's like fought some really good women in that run. And in addition to that, you're right. Mello just looks like you you don't quite know what her strength is supposed to be. She gives up takedowns really easy. If you're talking about who the more coordinated fighter is, and it's very clearly Sarah Morris by a mile, you probably don't belong in the UFC because she doesn't look like the most coordinated fighter, and she's still way ahead here. So I'm going to take Morris, and I think actually she probably gets a submission from the top game here. How about you? Uh, yeah, I, I like Morris to win as well. I don't think she quite get the finish, but yeah, it, it should be her fight all day long. All right, and that brings us to our last one, which is Jacob Kilburn versus Austin Lingo. So uh, Kilburn lost his debut to Billy Quarantillo back in uh, December of 2019. That was quite a while ago, and he lost that fight by triangle. Austin Lingo also been away from the cage for a little while. He made his debut in February of 2020 in a decision loss to Yusef Zalal. So obviously neither of these two fighters quite had the debut they wanted. Both of them came to us from the regional scene being touted as big power punchers, guys who can knock people out and get them out of there. Which one here are you favoring in that kind of striking battle? Should they get a little bit more of a striking battle like they wanted and didn't get in their debut? Yeah, because like, like like you said, in, in Kilburn's debut, he got he got manhandled so badly by Billy Quarantillo. I, I, I was trying to cast my mind back. I don't think I remember seeing a fighter get dominated that badly over such a large period of time in a single fight in the UFC. He, he really did get pounded on Billy, by Billy Quarantillo. So we didn't really get to see a lot of his stand-up game at all because he couldn't uh, save off the takedowns. Whereas uh, Lingo, like I said, didn't have the best debut either, but I think I think he showed a bit more on the feet. Um, he struggles he, he struggles when he comes to cutting off angles. He, he lets his opponents um, out very very easily. But um, he's a guy. Austin Lingo is a guy who moves forwards. He pressures. He's quite aggressive. He, he looks to push the action. Um, so I've, from their debuts, I, I saw a lot more in Austin Lingo as a fighter. I, I thought Kilburn looked quite a way off. UFC level as well, to be honest. Yeah, and I agree. And it, it's also worth noting, too. So both of these guys working at great camps, American top team in, in Ford's MMA. So they, they most likely are going to be making big growth in a whole year's worth of working with those coaches. But it's also worth noting that Austin Lingo did hit a takedown on Yusef Zalal. So, like, he was able to use a little bit of the grappling game as well. So if there is a problem there with the takedown defense of Jacob Kilburn... I also think Austin Lingo could go there for the finish, too, if he wanted. Because while the striking matchup, you know, if you look back at Kilburn on the regional scene, he's got a ton of knockouts. He might have some power there, too. I do think Lingo has more options as well. I I not only think that he is probably the better and sharper striker, I think he probably can take it to the ground and win there. So I'm favoring Lingo. I'm going to take him here by finish. I think he probably gets it done with the TKO. Uh, How do you see him getting it done? Yeah, I totally agree. I see Lingo taking him down and then uh, beating him up on top for a TKO stoppage. All right, and that does it. Well, you guys got seven fights in just a little bit over 15 minutes. We hope you guys learned something. I want to thank my co-host, Scott Lagden. Scott, thanks so much for joining me and breaking down these fights. No worries at all. Anytime, my friend.